Welcome to The Logbook. I'm your host, Lucas Weekly. This episode is supported by you, the listeners, through Patreon. Head over to thelogbookpodcast.com for more information. In this episode, we hear from a pilot who flew around the world three times. She's going to tell us about her experiences and give us some insight about how and why she did it. Um, Actually, my dad was interested in flying, and we're an English family. We came over from England when we were all kids um, for my dad's job, and he had the opportunity to take flying lessons, so he started, and then all the kids thought this was pretty neat. So we all started, and three of us got our license. My dad actually never finished his license, but three of us got our license, and two didn't. So, I mean, either the interest was there or it wasn't, and for me it was. Well, I soloed in 72 I was in high school, so I was getting ready for college, so I was saving all my money for college, so I didn't get my license till after college. I knew that once I finished university, I'd go straight and get my license, and so I did it the first thing after I finished my uh, college degree. I just got my Mooney in 2000. Um, I was living in Florida, and so I got it early August, and I, I thought I would be getting it earlier, and so I'd already planned a long flight up to Virginia to um, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, out to Colorado, and then back to Florida for the two weeks that I had off work. Um, So I got my Mooney, and I was getting all my spare time. I was flying it, getting used to it, and then I started on this trip, and everything went fine on the way to Virginia and and Pennsylvania and then Michigan. And then I had planned to overfly Lake Michigan to Wisconsin, and I'm starting to get worried about it because I'd never flown over such a large body of water before. And um, so I went up pretty high. I guess I was at uh, 10,500 feet or something. And it was a little bit hazy. And I was getting more and more nervous as I got close to Lake Michigan. And then as I started out over the lake, I just kept looking back at the shore to make sure the shore was still there. I zoomed out on my GPS so I could see the other shore because in the plane, I couldn't see the other shore. It's, It's 92 miles. It's not that far, but I was still very, very worried. I mean, everybody tells you how cold Lake Michigan is. Everybody, everybody says they fly around it. Not too many people go over it. So, I mean, I, I knew the plane was okay. I knew the engine was okay. Everything was running fine, but I was just more and more nervous. And then, so I, I keep going, flying, and I keep looking back, and then, then I'm so far out, I can't see the shore anymore. So I keep looking at my GPS, and I can see the other shore getting closer. And then finally in the distance, I can see the other shore, and, and I'm okay. And I land in Wisconsin, and everything's fine. But it's just the, the worry at first. Um, and it's really irrational, because a plane, an engine, doesn't know that it's over water instead of over land. So it, it's an irrational feel, a fear that many of us have when we're flying over water. And when I look back on that, and now that I've flown around the world three times and flown over a lot of water, it's kind of funny thinking back on it, but that was my first flight over water. And yes, I was very, very worried. And now I, I can't say it's easy every time. There's always a little bit of worry as, you, as I start out across an ocean, um, but nowhere near as much as the first time or that first flight over Lake Michigan. So the corollary, ancillary, whatever. The next <laughs> next part of that is, um, what was it? A couple of years later, 2002, I was planning my first flight around the world, which I was going to execute in 2003. And I was going westbound. So I knew my first leg would be from Florida 
to California nonstop. I had the tanking system put in here in Florida, so I had to make sure that everything worked before I crossed to Hawaii, which is the really long leg. It's the longest leg on any flight like this. And um, so, and, and the planning stage took seven months. And so I was planning the rest of the flight around the world, how to get to all these places, how if they had Avgas, where I would be stopping, you know, how to get weather information. So I was doing all the planning during the seven months. But I was also, every once in a while, I thought, am I really going to be able to cross the Pacific? Am I mentally going to be ready for it? And so every once in a while, during this planning stage, in the evening typically, I would, I would think to myself, I'd say, okay, are you really going to do this? And I would mentally put myself in the situation of being the evening before that first flight across the Pacific to Hawaii. And I'd say, okay, the plane's ready, plane's all gassed up. Now, are you really going to do this? And I realized that, yes, I was mentally ready for it, so I kept doing the planning. <clears throat> and then the day finally arrived, and I was in California with my brother. The first leg from Florida to California had gone well. The tank, tanking system had worked well. I was okay for 16 hours in the plane because it was a 16-hour nonstop leg. Stayed with my brother in California for a couple of days, watching the weather to make sure it was perfect for me to go to Hawaii. And um, then the morning came when the weather was going to be good. I couldn't fly out of my brother's airport because it had a short runway, so I had to relocate to Long Beach Airport. I gassed up at Long Beach Airport. I got in the plane, called for my clearance. Well, something had gone wrong with the flight planning system. They didn't have a clearance, so I had to shut down the plane, get out, go back into the flight planning office, refile the flight plan, took a, quite a bit of time with the uh, air traffic control, got back into the plane, fired up again, and, and took off. And, you know, because of all the frustration of relocating and then not having the flight plan and everything else, I just took off, and I wasn't nervous because, you know, I was just so ready to get underway because of everything that had gone wrong that I was fine when I took off. And it was actually, you know, a couple of hours after the takeoff, I just, all of a sudden, my stomach got in knots and I was there. <laughs> I realized where I was, what I was doing, and I got really, really nervous. But then, you know, I was underway. So I just took a, a couple of really deep breaths and kept on going. And it turned out to be okay. And, and again, it goes back to engines don't quit. Engines, as long as you do your maintenance and everything else, are really reliable. So I kept going. It was a 15-hour leg. Day turned into night. I was up there over the Pacific Ocean all alone at night and didn't land until 10 or 11 o'clock at night, Hawaii time. So that was more like one or two California time. But everything was fine. Engines keep flying. En engines keep working. Planes keep flying. They're not just going to crash. So, you know, again, it was a, a great accomplishment. I felt fantastic when I got to Hawaii, spent a couple of days there, then headed off to um, American Samoa, another 15-hour leg. But every time you do something that you might be a little worried about at the start, as you progress, you work, work towards it by doing the planning and then do it, you get a real sense of accomplishment afterwards and gain a lot of knowledge for being able to do other things in that same vein later on. So we then asked our storyteller to describe the three flights and explain what occurred in each. Okay, the first flight around the world, <clears throat> actually, these were never, it was never a dream of mine to fly around the world. It, it was a combination of circumstances that came together. And um, first of all, my the reason I got my plane was because my mother was dying of ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, the ice bucket challenge that just happened. My mother died of that in 2002, but she was diagnosed with it in 1999, when I was relocated from living in Pennsylvania to living in Florida. 
So I wanted, they lived in Virginia. I wanted to get back and forth to Virginia to be able to see her. So I already had my pilot's license. So I bought a Mooney, uh, being a very quick, um, efficient plane. Low gas consumption, high speed, really efficient. Um, so that's why I got my Mooney. She died in 2002. In July 2002, I was with my dad at Oshkosh, the uh, air venture, Oshkosh. And he was, what, 80 by then? And he's saying, you know, I'd really like to get together with my sister one more time. Again, I said they were an English family. We came to the States. His sister with her family moved to New Zealand, or she actually married a, a Kiwi from New Zealand and raised the family there. They had only seen each other once since World War II. So more than 50 years, they'd only seen each other once. They'd each lost their spouse, and they wanted to get back together. Well, it's, my dad's already 80, so I said, okay, we'll, we'll get you to New Zealand, thinking that I would fly with him commercially. Um, and then I happened to read an article about a Mooney being ferried to Australia, and I already had my Mooney, and I thought, wow, wouldn't that be neat to get my Mooney to New Zealand get dad to New Zealand commercially, fly him around New Zealand, get him together with his sister, maybe fly him over to Australia where he had friends, visit a little bit in Australia, then he could fly back to the States. And so that's how my first trip got started, with a desire to fly my dad around New Zealand if I could get to New Zealand. So I started doing the planning, figured out how to get to New Zealand, figured out how to get to Australia. And then I thought, wow, do I really want to do the Pacific twice? Or why not just keep going? Because I had family in England, friends in France, because I used to live in France. So I said, if I can keep going, then I can get to Europe, then I can fly my, my cousins in England and fly my friends in France. So I figured out how to do the rest of the trip. And then I did fly to New Zealand. We got my dad to New Zealand commercially. I got them reunited. And um, then I did fly with him to Australia. He flew with me across the, um, across that, actually it's a pretty big stretch of water. It's a 12 hour flight. Well, we did it in three steps. So three, actually nine hour flight, three, three hour legs. So we flew that together, flew a little bit around the east coast of Australia. And then he flew back to the, to the States and I flew the rest, way, the rest of the way around the world, meeting my cousins in England and taking friends flying in France and, and had a great time. So um, after that first flight, which was seven months long, had a great time. Um, I, I knew I wanted to do another flight around the world and just have a really long, enjoyable flight and see more places because I'd, I'd seen quite a few places, but there are so many places in the world you want to visit. I wanted to see more. And, um, but by then my dad was older and he had kidney failure and was on dialysis and he was living with me. And there was no way that I could do a long flight on the, around the world while he was living with me. So I don't know why, but this silly idea of doing a record flying around the world in maybe a week came to me because I could always put him in um, assisted living for a week. They'd take care of him for a week. I'd done that when when things happened and I had to, to go someplace, I could put him in assisted living. So I thought I could put him in assisted living for a week and then I can fly around the world, get a world record, raise, all these were charity flights to raise money for ALS research. Um, so that's how the second flight got started. And I started doing the planning and then Unfortunately, he died in the middle, so he never knew about the flight. But um, I kept doing the planning, and then with another woman pilot, we flew around the world in eight and a half days. Got the world record. And then finally, I did the long flight that I wanted. It was almost almost a year long. It was 11 and a half months. And I went eastbound around the world and visited many, many more countries, all in the same uni, and um, had a great time. Learned more and more everywhere I went. 
everything I did, you know, it's a it's building on itself. You can do more and more each time when you first a little step and then a bigger step and then more countries, more people. Had a great time. Wait. So you've been listening to Carolyn Garrett this whole time. She's a very accomplished pilot, and instead of ending the episode right here like we normally do, we wanted to find out a little bit more about our flights. So we asked her some questions, and hopefully these will help answer yours as well. How fast does the Mooney go? Well, most people fly for speed. And a Mooney is a fast plane. It could go 160, but it consumes more gas at that speed. And because I go for endurance, um, my objective is to get as far as I can on every leg. So you actually fly slower. When you fly slower, you use less gas, but you can go further. So for the same amount of gas, I can go further at a slower speed rather than using a high speed, I would not be able to get as far. So on the world record um, flight, we did two legs that were 23 hours long. They were 22 and 2300 nautical miles each. Um, and 23 hours long. So we had two women pilots in the cockpit and we would sleep every two hours. We would alternate sleeping shifts and that's how we made it across those long legs. So would you do it again? Um, actually I'm looking at another flight. Um, I was in Russia last year and met some great Russian pilots, really enjoyed my time there. I mean, leave all the political stuff aside, which is very negative. The people, actually everywhere I travel, people are great. They, they all have to live, they all have to support their families and just go about normal life. They're, they're friendly, they're, anyway, people aren't the politicians that we see. So I met some fantastic pilots in Russia tends to be a little bit of a male-dominated society. But they have some women, um, obviously cosmonauts they've had, and very successful women aerobatic pilots and women pilots. But, but ten, it still tends to be a male-dominated society. So what I thought was I would like to, or at least I've already planned it, 16 stops in Russia with a female Russian pilot. And at every stop, besides doing a little bit of touristy stuff, visit a school, talk to the kids, especially the girls, and then spend a, a morning taking girls flying. Now, I'd need an interpreter, so it'd only have to be, you know, two girls at a time. But still, we could, every city, 16 different cities, we could take a couple of uh, four, six girls flying and, and tell the story. And so it'd just be across the Atlantic, Europe. The bulk of the time would be in Russia, probably six weeks, and then Alaska and back to the States. So... I had I started thinking about it last year. I have the plan worked out, but with the relationships, I'm not sure I could get a permit to fly through Russia. So right now it's on hold. But yes, to answer your question, I would like to do it again. Would you try for another record? The record was really, really tough. I mean, first of all, it was 18 months of my life doing the planning for the flight. And then it was eight and a half days doing the flight. Um, so it's a big chunk of my life for the record. It, it's tough. I mean, it's day and night doing the flying, sleeping, breathing. The, the whole thing is focused on that flight. I don't, th I don't think, I mean, it's great having the world record. See, they're up there on the wall. It's great having a world record, but the objective was to raise money for ALS. And if dumping a bucket of ice over your head can raise $200 million for ALS, and I can only raise 400000 then it really doesn't pay to make another world record because it, it doesn't raise the money for ALS. So it's too much work. 
Um, yes, I have calculated another record that would be possible, but I don't think it, it would be what Bill's doing right now, which is a polar record, and it would be very, very dangerous. So I really don't think I will do it. I did actually calculate two more records for Moonies so that a Mooney could get both a record east and westbound with, with a Mooney acclaim. Um, so if the Mooney, um, the new Mooney company is interested in doing that, I've figured out how to do it and would be happy to be part of it. So I guess I, I can't say, no, I won't do another world record. Yes, I've, I've figured out how to do three more. Did Mooney sponsor the flights? Oh, no, 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 no. They didn't donate one cent. They, originally, they didn't donate one cent. This year, the Mooney Corporation donated $1,000 to ALS Research. But no, as far as sponsorship, every, every trip has been paid for privately by me or Carol. Um, when we were looking for people, companies to donate to ALS, I was given a Concord battery, I was given magnetos, I was given a headset. Every time I was given something, I paid the price of that something to ALS research. So nothing was given for the flight for free. All that money or the equivalent in money was given to research. And everything you did was for ALS? Yes. Well, once you know about ALS and you, you know somebody that dies from it, and especially what they go through, the deterioration of the body, yes, you want to do something to, to find a, a treatment to stop this disease. So how else did the flight support ALS? Um, we paid, I paid for all my flights. Carol um, helped with the, the world record flight because she was part of the crew. Um, so we paid for everything. I wrote three books, one book about each flight. I make presentations about these flights to flying clubs, civic chapters, civic groups, and, and other people. And then they buy the books afterwards. And I've raised $413,000 for ALS research. So it all comes from book sales, book sales and presentations. I think what Carolyn has already done to raise money for ALS is fantastic, especially for a single person with a small team. So if you'd like to support ALS, you can donate through... The link to my website and the donations go straight to ALS. It doesn't... I'm not an intermediary. When you click on the donate on my website, it goes straight to ALS. Is www.alsworldflight.com. So there you can read all about my three world flights, but the donate button goes straight to ALS Research. And if you'd like to learn more about her flights, you can purchase a copy of her books entitled Upon Silver Wings 1, 2, and 3. And like she said before, all the earnings go straight to ALS. Today, Carolyn enjoys sharing the excitement of aviation through the Young Eagles program and as a flight instructor. She also still owns the Mooney that she did all the trips in, of course, she said she'd never get rid of it. And it resides in her hangar with her many other recreational airplanes and hobbies. More information and pictures related to the story can be found in the article at thelogbookpodcast.com. Special thanks goes out to Megan Brock, our recording and interviewing assistant. This episode was supported directly by your donations. If you enjoy the show, you can support its production by becoming a patron. Through Patreon, you set a donation level that is given every time a new episode is released, and you can always set a monthly limit so you don't go over your budget. Depending on the amount donated, you are granted access to different rewards that are as simple as hearing a sneak preview to the next episode, all the way up to exclusive content that didn't make it into the show. Any amount is helpful, and the more that it's donated, the more the show can improve. Head over to our website, thelogbookpodcast.com, and click on the Patreon banner at the side of the page to start supporting. If you have a story about anything in aviation, we would love to hear it, and it may even become an episode of The Logbook. You can send us an email by using the contact page on our website. 
Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you come back for the next entry in the logbook. <laughs>